Okay, welcome back to the Dungeon of Doom. He's Ben. I'm Kyle. We're the Lions Beat here at M Live. Big show today. Back from a hiatus. We took a week off last week as we recovered from hard knocks duty. <laughs> took a lot out of both of us. And our producer recovered from COVID. Glad you're here. You're doing well, Jessica. We're back and we got a good guest this week in Glover Quinn. Ben, we just wrapped up with him. Our podcast is usually like 40 minutes, maybe <laughs> 35 minutes. I think we told Glover 20 minutes. We went like a long, a lot, a lot longer than that. <laughs> I forgot how good that guy is. He used to do Sound by Wednesdays back in the day, which we talked about in the podcast, where he would talk every Wednesday and he would not stop talking until the questions were done. It's an impressive thing to, to hear that guy speak. He has a lot to say. I talked with him about Dude, everything. why things didn't work out with Matt Patricia. He went back to the Caldwell years and what he remembered from the playoff game in 14, which is still the closest I've ever seen the Lions come to a playoff run. And of course, we got to the current team too and got some thoughts from Glover on on that and where things are with Dan Campbell and the secondary. So just a lot of good stuff with Glover. We're going to keep this a lot tighter than usual, Ben. Uh, but I do want to get your thoughts on the one one start. The Lions coming off that big win against Washington on Sunday. Really an impressive performance in the first half, kicking ass really in all three phases. And they did what good teams do in the second half, which was put them away. Washington punched because every team in this league is good enough to punch at some point. And, and the Lions punched back. Ben, what did you think of the Lions one one start here going into Minnesota? Yeah, absolutely. And just the way to answer in that week two win. And just to brush over week one real quick, I think that Philadelphia team is pretty freaking good. We saw them last night. Jalen Hurts has some legit weapons that was tough to deal with. And going from surrendering 38 points to that first half, that was just, my goodness, that is a first half I won't forget from Aaron Glenn's group in a long time. It took six possessions for Washington to get a first down. Punt, fumble safety, punt, and that was their first half. Like 22 nothing at halftime coming out. And then when the defense starts to bend a little in the second half, the offense answers the call and gets really going. Three straight games, 35-plus points. Amon Reyes, St. Brown, and DeAndre Swift are stars, and Ben Johnson's showing that he knows how to use them. I mean, a banged-up DeAndre Swift was a big-time difference maker last week. And shoot, like Dan Campbell said, they're missing a lot of bullets right now, too, and they came out and delivered one of their better all-around, their best all-around balanced performance I've seen in a long time. So, arrow up indeed. Yeah, no, I'm with you, Ben. I... Oh man, the, the NFL is such a soap opera sometimes, but like they lose in week one and they look like trash in the first half and I, and I get it, but that's a really good team. You lose by three points and you wake up on Monday morning and it's like doomsday if you turn on the radio or my email, my poor email inbox. It was one of those days where I'm just like, nope, I'm not going to look at, at the inbox because like there's just so much vitriol. And I understand, man, that the lines have lost for forever, for 60 something years now. And I get it. That's what you're conditioned to expect. But I knew the team that I saw throughout camp. And the thing that that maybe, I, I don't know, annoyed me the most coming out of week one was the, the comparisons being made to the 49ers game from the opener from last year. And I get the parallels, right? Get your asses kicked for most of that game, make some plays in the second half to pull within, I don't know, make, to make the score look better. And then you lose. I understand. But that's really where the similarities end. Team that we saw in camp last year was trash. It was a bad team. That offense was bad in training camp. The defense had serious issues. And so that's why I picked them to win three games, Ben. That's why coming out of that 49ers game, I was not uh, encouraged by the finish. We knew what we saw and it was a, a bad team. It's different this year. We saw a different team in camp. We saw a really good offense. The defense still has some issues, but there's improvement, particularly in the pass rush, which should maybe hopefully hide some of the deficiencies in the back end. But the offense is really good. And the problems we saw in the opener, Ben, were not problems we saw in training camp. The route miscommunications, golf just not on the same page with Hawkinson, with Tark, drops. I mean, drops from Amon Ross and Brown. Like that, that, these are not 
real issues with the team. And like they lost that game. That's not good enough. But it didn't seem like it was going to be, it didn't greatly concern me going forward. It seemed like easily fixable things because they weren't real problems with the team that we had seen. They do have problems. They're not a perfect team, but that's a good team. That's a good Eagles team. They, they're they an NFC contender. That's certainly a playoff team. And to lose by three on a day where you had injuries to key players and didn't play your best for half of that game and to still make a game of it spoke volumes to me. And we saw it in week two. And that was a really impressive first half, half performance. And uh, there's a lot of people getting hung up on the second half, but it's the NFL. Most teams are going to have enough talent to punch at some point. The good teams punch back. And that's what the Lions did. The Lions did to Washington on Sunday what teams usually do to the Lions, which is you kick ass because you're the better team. And then when the team, when the opponent makes the push, you close the door. And that's what the Lions did. And I was really impressed by it. And I think given their schedule and, and some of the uncertainty in the NFC North, I do think, Ben, we're looking at a team that should win eight, nine games. And I don't think they're necessarily a classic nine win team. I don't, I, like I do, I really am concerned about the secondary and the cornerback play, but you only play the, the schedule you're given. And I just think they have enough talent to, to keep things interesting this year. Absolutely. I mean, the tougher part of the schedule is definitely the first half. So if they can kind of steal a couple of these ones with that back half of the schedule, there is absolutely a path to 500 or 10 wins or something like that. You know, the absolute ceiling. But yeah, like you said, nobody should be terribly surprised by that second half. I'll be quick here just because Washington has some really versatile playmakers. Curtis Samuel out of the backfield, that's a nightmare assignment for Charles Harris. Logan Thomas in the slot, that's a nightmare assignment for Malcolm Rodriguez. I mean, Washington finally got into a point where they were using their creative playmakers. But like we both said, the Lions answered, the Lions punched back, the offense picked up when the defense slacked, the defense picked up when the offense was slacking in the first half. And like you said, that's what teams have been doing to the Lions since I joined the beat. So to see it on the other shoe, shoot, it was wild. That was an exciting game. That third quarter was highly entertaining. So a one and one going forward, first NFC North tilt this weekend. See what happens there, but uh, really excited to get into today's guest. And it was just an awesome talk, uh, Glover. I didn't get to cover him, but he was just fantastic. My goodness, that's just one of those guys. You ask a question, he'll give you everything he's got in his head, and then some. I'm telling you, Soundbite Wednesdays with Glover Quinn were, was a thing to behold, and we get to it in the interview on, on on the back end. Lots of good stuff from Glover. There's there's so much more I'd like to say, Ben, but we're just running short on time. We'll get to some of this other stuff next week. For now, let's get to Glover Quinn, former Lions captain here on the Dungeon of Doom. Okay, Ben, we got a very special guest on the podcast this week. None other than Glover Quinn, former Lions captain and safety. Played for the team from 2014 to 2018. Played in 96 games, made 96 starts for the team. 19 interceptions, including seven in 2014 when he was named to the Pro Bowl and led the Lions to one of their best, one of the best defensive teams ever and a, a playoff bid that year. Glover, welcome to the podcast. Right, what's up, man? Actually, I got there in 2013. Yeah, yeah. Jim Swartz's last year. That was my first year in Detroit. But everything else, tidy. <laughs> <That's> good, <man. laughs> so, Glover, what have you been up to these days, man? I, so we're recording this on Tuesday afternoon. I'm glad you made the time for us in the middle of your uh, celebrations, I'm sure, of your boy Darius Slay and what you did last night. <laughs> <laughs> man, he killed it last night, man. It was incredible to see such a great performance, obviously going against a talented wide receiver and Justin Jefferson. And he was up to the task. He was up to the challenge. So he knew going into the week that he was going to have to have a big game. And he went out and did that. And he did it on a big stage, a national stage when everybody was watching. So it's always great when it can come together like that. So 
Shout out to Slay. Shout out to my dog, man. Proud of him. I had to give him a hard time after week one. He dropped the interception, <laughs> so I had him doing push-ups. And I'm excited that he caught two last night, but I'm sitting there like, bro, you could have caught four. You could have made the Pro Bowl last night. Four or five interceptions on Monday night in week two. You could have been a penciled in already. So I still got to give him a hard time because we still don't like like letting that many of them hit the ground. But, you know, good he was able to catch two of them. He officially passed me last night. I know he was talking about that on our other podcast when I talked to him because <laughs> I uh, ended with 24, and I think last night put him at 25. So shout out to Slade. Congrats to him. He's off to a tremendous start this year. Sounds like you, uh, you're you still the father figure in that in that relationship, always always looking for something better. I remember when Slay came in, when he was drafted. So that was 2013. That was the year you joined the team, right? It was the year he was drafted, mm-hmm. if I remember correctly. And he was... So talented and so raw. <laughs> I think we all saw the same stuff out there that he could fly, he could play, but just needed some some maturing. And you were a big reason for that. I think you guys had your lockers right next to each other, if I remember correctly. And you were in this year, in this year every day. Yeah, and that that was a huge thing because you know when I first got there, none of the other veterans that actually came in and helped in the next two years or so. When, you know, Rasheen came in, we signed James Ahedebo, he came in the next year. So we were able to get a, a strong group of veterans. But our first year there, I was there by myself. And it was like the start of a new era for the most part, because they had Louis Demas, they had Chris Houston. They had some of those guys that had different personalities, different types of lifestyles and things like that. And so when Martin Mayhew brought me out there, he had told me he wanted to like make a change. He wanted to like... He wanted something different and he wanted it to start with me. And so I was like, cool. I accepted that challenge and I knew what I was getting myself into. And so when he got ready to draft Slay, he told me that he was like, hey, I want you to take Slay under your wings and I want you to help Slay. And I told him, I said, just being honest with you, because it was another guy, Dominic Johnson, that had signed there, I think the same time in free agency as I did. I think he was an undrafted guy to Jackson State. His locker was right next to mine in the offseason. And I told Martin, I said, so I'm going to tell you this right here because I had done it a couple years ago with Denver Broncos safety, not Kareem Jackson, when he was in Houston. And I told him, I said, Martin, I have no problem taking Slay under my wings. Like, I, I think the biggest step in, in doing that is you got to put our lockers right next to each other because you spend so much time in the locker room before practice, after practice, in the mornings, in the afternoons, traveling, not traveling. Like you spend so much time in the locker room and that's where you really bond. That's where you really grow those relationships. They're just being able to have conversations outside of football, right? You mean you're sitting there in, uh, next to somebody in, in the locker, you can see when they come in the morning and they've had a long night or are they in a good mood or they upset or they get a phone call and they're arguing or they excited. Like you can see all the different things that go on in life that, you can be a part of, you can help, you can talk to, you can talk through, you can just be a friend and you just become locker mates. And so that's where it started. And so we were locker mates. Then he ended up sitting right next to me in the meeting room because he was a rookie. And so they made the rookie sit in the front row, right? I was a vet and I sat on the front row. So there was nobody sitting next to me. So Slade came, sat next to me. So now we were meeting room mates, we were locker mates. And then in the team meeting room, Slay sat right next to me. So everywhere we went, every meeting room, for the most part, except for the defensive meeting room, it was me and Slay. And so I, our relationship just grew on and off the field. And, you know, he's one of my best homies to this day. And 
that started. What does that mean to kind of have that thrust on you? Because while I wasn't there, while you were in Detroit, I've heard Diggs talk about your influence. I've heard Tracy Walker, who's still here, talk about your influence and just kind of you taking him under his wing and just, what does it mean to have guys that are still doing it at a high level, still giving you props three or four years later since you've been in that locker room and just, is that something you look back on and take great pride in? Yeah, I do, because I've never, I never had a hate and bone in my body. I always felt like I was confident in who I was and what I could do. And I always knew that we're only going to be as strong as the weakest link. So it's, it's my job to help you guys in every way that I can. And I can't be afraid or fear that you guys are going to take my spot. I got to still know that I'm me and I'm confident in who I am and what I can do and my role in this thing. But I can also see your role and I can also see how I can help you. I love the fact that I came in as a corner and I moved to, I played the nickels. That's what they drafted me for in Houston. I ended up playing on the outside. So now I had experience at the corner position, at the nickel position. Then when Coach Wade Phillips got there in 2011, they moved me to safety. So now I had safety experience and then I was playing a dime. So everywhere in the secondary, I understood how to play it. So I understood what the players were going through. So when our nickels or our corners or our young safeties were dealing with different things, I was able to help them because I had experienced it. Helping Slay, helping Quandre, helping those guys. I remember telling Quandre when he was young, I said, hey, man, I think you're going to be just like I did. You came in as a corner slash nickel, but your body type, your smarts, your ball skills, your physical ability, you're probably going to end up moving to safety at some point. It's going to help you that you're having to learn how to play on the inside. So he embraced that role and he's having great success right now, too. And so working with Slade, just more so from a mental standpoint, you know, how to go about things. Obviously, when Rasheen Mathis was there, he was a huge influence on Slade as well from a cornerback perspective. Being a former corner, Rasheen being from Duval in Jacksonville, and Slade being from Brunswick, pretty close to each other. So they were able to connect. So Slade came in and had a really good group of veterans to help mold him, to help develop him. And he had some great coaches. And so you can really see how a player with talent that may be raw can come in and be surrounded by good people, a good environment, a great situation, and they can develop and turn into what they are meant to be. And you can also see how if it doesn't work out, right? Like you come in and you don't have those leaders, you don't have those people that want what's best for you. They're not trying to hate on you. We used to always tell Slate, you the future, man. You the guy that they brought here to be Darius Slate, right? So it's our job to help you. We're not trying to hate on you and not want you to play. No, you got crazy ability. It's our job to get you to understand how to let your ability help you out. Because a lot of times with guys like Slate that have such great athletic ability, a lot of times mentally they are a little bit behind when it comes to the game because they've never had to rely on the mental side of it. They've just been so physically gifted that it didn't matter. But then when you get to the higher levels, you have to start understanding how to play with your brain, how to play with your leverage, understand what they're trying to do to you, understand how they're trying to attack you so that your ability can shine even brighter. Yeah, you're still going to be talented and you'll still probably make plays. But to be considered elite, to be considered great, 
you want to be consistent. You want to have all the athletic ability. You want to have the technique. You want to have the footwork. You want to have it all so you can perform at a high level week in and week out, especially going against the top receivers. And that's what Slay had. And now he's been doing it for a while. And, you know, he's just playing at a high level. My first year on the B Clover was 2013. So your first year with the team, you had the playoff berth the following year in 2014. I've watched a lot of Lions football since then, and that's still the closest the Lions have been to, to winning a playoff game. I'm just curious, your memories from that, that, that game, that's nine years ago now. You guys had such a great defense that year is top two top three in the league, if I remember right. One of the 10 best rush defenses in, in NFL history at that time. And you were so close. It didn't happen down there in Dallas. I'm curious, your memories from that day and, uh, and how close you guys came. We had an incredible year. Thinking back to that game, defensively, we had a bust or a, a mishap that happened right before the half. I think we gave up a slant for a touchdown or a big play I think to Terrence Williams offensively we came out rolling that game I think we jumped up on those bars pretty good and that play before half changed the whole momentum of the game because I think you know and I don't remember what the exact numbers were but if we were up 17-0 then now you're going in 17-7 as opposed to 17-0 and they got the momentum because they just got a big play right before the halftime and so I remember that happening to us and then the second half you know you just going I remember you know we just couldn't make enough plays in the fourth quarter to to win the game and then obviously you had the pi call that was heard around the world what happened did it happen did it not happen what was your reaction to that i didn't think it was pi but i did think it was pi it was on brandon Pettigrew, right yeah yeah i thought it was a pi but it was face gardening run all up in his face like that but they didn't call it they picked up the flag or whatever they did but it didn't work in our favor and so you still got to find ways to win the game though i think defensively we still had a chance to win the game and get a big stop. And I think we gave up a, a couple first downs and a, on that last drive, if I remember correctly. And then I think somebody called a touchdown in the end zone. I can't even remember who it was. Might've been Terrence Williams in the back of the end zone, right? Was that, yeah, so, yeah. yeah, that was nine years ago. And we had a great opportunity that year. I thought offensively with Calvin Johnson and Golden Tate and the guys that we had, Stafford, and then defensively with the D-line that we had with Sue and I think we had Farley that year and Ziggy was young and J Jason Good Jones and, <laughs> you know, our D-line was incredible. That's why we could stop the run the way we did. Then we had Tully at the linebacker, Levy at the linebacker, Ashley Palmer at the out other backer. And then in the secondary, you had me, you had Slay, you had Rasheen, you had Diggs, James Ahedibo. So we had a very talented group and it's just it's sad that we didn't get to that we didn't make a longer run than what we did. That's just how the ball bounces. Yeah, that's how the league works. You guys had some success after that. Not enough success. And I know you were so close to Jim Caldwell. I can see his picture behind you right now. He was fired after 2017. You were around for one more year for Matt Patricia. And I know you've been asked about him before, but I just, I, I value players' perspectives as somebody who's on the team and in the locker room. What was your perspective on on that season, on Matt Patricia, maybe why that didn't work and maybe some of the lasting damage has been done? We got Darius Slay in an Eagles jersey. We got Quandre Diggs in, out in Seattle. You're sitting at home. Like that was once one of the best secondaries in the league, one of the best defenses in the league. And they went through a lot of hard years because things didn't work out and some of the decisions that were made. And so I'm curious, Glover, your perspective on, on why things didn't work out, how hard that season was in 2018 and some of the damage well, you've happened to the organization. I think it was a form of national perception of 
the Detroit Lions, along with arrogancy that made that year awful. For Coach Patricia to come in, I felt like he had a national perception of Detroit, meaning it's not good. It's not good players there. They don't win. They're this, they're that. And so when Coach Caldwell came in, he already understood that we got good players. I just got to get you from A to B, right? You're, you're sitting here at A, and we're trying to go to the second step. We're trying to go to the next level. But we got good players here. Like I said, he had a good team. When Coach Patricia got there, it was, you guys are all awful. I got to change the whole culture. We had made two playoffs in those four years. We had finished nine and seven two years back to back. And I know nine and seven isn't something that everybody wants to be, but I guarantee there's a lot of teams and owners that would love to be nine and seven at the end of the year, giving themselves a chance to get into the playoffs because we've seen the Giants go and win the Super Bowl at nine and seven. We've seen teams find a way to get it into the playoffs at nine and seven and go win it. So the end of the day, yeah, we all want to try to win our division. But if you don't win the division, you want an opportunity to get into the dance. That's what you want. And more times than not, nine and seven is going to give you a chance to at least get in there. So for us to finish nine and seven, two, two years in a row, I think, but to be in championship games, we're playing Green Bay in week 17 for the championship. Like we go, we win that game and now you're division champs. You lose those games. Obviously you want to win some of those games, but you're giving yourself a chance and that's all you can ask for in this league. But I think for them, for coach Patricia coming from new England, being that they're going 13 and whatever's in that division, when that division was weak, I guarantee you right now, they probably wouldn't be winning that many games in that division because Buffalo is stronger. The Dolphins are stronger. The Jets aren't there yet, but I think it would be very difficult for the Patriots to sweep that division like they did for so many years in a row when the Bills were bad, the Dolphins were bad, and the Jets were bad. We, we were basically penciling in six wins for those guys every year. And so when you get used to winning 13, 14, 11, 12 games, you feel like nine isn't good enough. And I'm not saying nine is good enough, but nine gives you a chance. So we don't need you to come in and change the culture. The culture is good. We need you to take us from nine wins to 10 wins. Mm. We need you to, we need you. Okay. We've lost two division championships, right? Two of those games to, I think we lost in 16. No. Yeah, we lost it in 16 to Green Bay and 17 to Green Bay. I think one of those years we made the playoffs and another year we didn't make the playoffs, right? Yeah, Uh, the trip to Seattle. Yeah, that's right. That was in 16. Yep, 16. Yep. And then 17, we finished 9-7. and We lost that game to the Bengals right before Christmas, and that kind of put us out. So we played that last game against Chicago and beat them but we didn't have a chance at the at the playoffs. But like I said, you're giving yourself a chance, right? You're giving yourself an opportunity to be in the mix, right? Yes, you want to be performing at a higher level. But I think, like I said, when he came in there, he felt like what the national media probably would say. The same old lies, they're this, they're that, as opposed to saying, okay, these guys got some talent. They got guys in positions here. Okay, we may need to upgrade this position a little bit. May need to find one more playmaker here. And then we can hopefully go from nine wins to 10 wins or maybe 11 wins as opposed to feeling like you got to tear the whole building down and rebuild all over again. And that's why you see all the players get out of there. Golden Tate's gone. I'm gone. Slay's gone. Quandre's gone. Like all those guys are gone, right? 
Yeah. Yeah. Because we feel like you need to change the culture. And we were so big in Coach Caldwell's system that he felt like he had to get those voices out of there so that the people could hear his voice. And that's what happened. And just to spin it forward now, I know you're not in the building with the new regime. One thing that we've seen in the last couple of years is guys coming back. Just last week, we had to hear Whitehead back in the building to announce his retirement. Former players have been coming back into the fold. How I know you're not in the building, but like, how much different do you think the culture is in that out in Allen Park for guys like Whitehead to be coming back? What does that say about the kind of culture of the franchise moving forward here under Dan Campbell and Brad? I think it's back to the culture that we experienced under Coach Carl. We used to always have veterans come back. They used to be at our Saturday morning practices. Like he always had those guys come back and welcome those guys back because at the end of the day, this is their home. They played here. They're part of this team's history. So you want those guys to come back. And for young players, older players, like you want to see some of the guys that paved the way and played here before you because you're all a part of that journey now. We're all, if the Lions have forever reunion and invite all the players that played on an active roster for them somewhere, you're going to be a part of that. Regardless of if you were an MVP or regardless of if you were an undrafted guy that made the team as a special teamer, you're going to be in that building with Calvin Johnson. You're going to be in that building with Barry Sanders. You're going to be in that building with, you know what I'm saying, some of the all-time greats that played in Detroit, right? Because you were a part of that team. So you should always welcome those guys back. You want those guys to be around, to be a part of the program and feel like a family. And I think for Coach Patricia, I don't know if he really, really wanted that. He didn't really create that environment to where it felt like a family. And Coach Campbell is back and they're really big on that, bringing guys back. I was out back out there. You want the building and the atmosphere to feel good. And it helps when the team wins. It just creates more and more excitement. And so I think the culture is headed back to what it should be. And so I think right now they're headed in the right direction. And I think Coach Campbell is doing a great job. He got a great staff out there. And I think as long as they continue winning, everything else is just going to take care of itself because the more you win, the games get bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. And next thing you know, you got that Sunday night game that got flexed in November and you and all of the vets are like, hey, bro, I'm going out to that, you know, Lions versus whatever game on Sunday night. You come and shoot, yeah, I'm going to be there. You know what I'm saying? You get that environment, you get the excitement, you get the guys want to come back. And so I think they're headed in the right direction. I have some questions on that front too, but just one more real quick, just going back, and not to belabor the ancient past, but just one more. I've asked some guys this, and I'm curious your perspective, Glover. I've asked some guys when they knew it wasn't going to work with Patricia. And I've heard some different answers. Most of them are pretty pretty early in 18, but I'm curious your perspective on that question. At, at what point did you realize it, it wasn't going to work? When I showed up for a mini camp, because I didn't go to the offseason program that, that season, I wanted actually to be out of Detroit. I asked Coach Patricia for a release because I didn't want to start over in Detroit. I knew it was year 10 for me. I only wanted to play 10 years in my whole career. And so after the years that I had with Coach Caldwell and that staff, I didn't want to start over in Detroit because I knew year 10 was possibly my last year. So I felt, you know what, if this is going to be my last year and I got a new coach in Detroit, that means I'm going to have to have a new coach. So let me go somewhere else and get a new coach. Let me come back home to Houston or let me come back somewhere close or let me just let me go somewhere else if I got to have a new coach. I don't want to start over in Detroit my last year. And so I asked Coach Patricia for my release and he didn't want to give it to me. So when I showed up for mini camp, 
just the grumblings that you heard from the guys about how things had been right then, this is not going to be good. It's just not. Because like I say, when you have, when you come in with the national perception of Detroit Lions, right? You got to understand you're coming in with the national perception of the New England Patriots. So the players in the locker room, they already feel some type of way because you're from the Patriots and you got the Patriot way and you got this and you got the no fun team and you got all this stuff that they talk about. And the only reason why they can talk about that stuff in New England during that time is because they were winning Super Bowls. That's the only reason. If they're not winning these next couple of years, you're not going to have guys running out to New England to play because they B- Belichick is still going to be Bill. So he's going to feel like I know the way I won Super Bowls. I've done this for these many years. Right. Yeah. But you had Tom Brady and that got a lot to do with it. Right. When you're winning, you can do those things and you can say, oh, this is the Patriot way and this is how we do things. And this is that because Tom has been there for a long time. And so you coach Tom a certain way. Right. You can call out other players because you call them not Tom, but you got a relationship with Tom. Y'all been together for 14, 15 years. Y'all been through the trenches. When you go to other teams, you can't just walk in and demand that type of whatever. And you haven't won anything when you're not winning. You can't just do all that stuff. You might say, what? Why not? Because it don't work like that. Just is what it is. You get guys that will straighten up their act to go to New England when they're winning Super Bowls. They'll figure it out for a couple weeks. When they're not winning, it's not going to be the same. And so for Coach Patricia, you got to understand that too. When you come in here, they're already looking at you. You finna bring the New England way over here. You got the GM and Bob Quinn. Got you. Now we're getting all these New England cats over here. The way they doing stuff, this and that. Bro, this ain't even cool. Like, bro, we was already good. We didn't need a new whatever we didn't need all this stuff like you trying to change all this you telling slay he's not a elite player he shouldn't be working out with other guys what you mean i can't work out with other guys you can't we can't switch jerseys like i'm paying for these jerseys you know what i'm saying i used to go to the equipment room people and tell them before the season hey i need you to order me five or six new extra jerseys because i know when we go play this team i want to switch with this guy and when we go play that team but now you said we can't switch jerseys what do you mean we supposed to be mad at each other Oh, well, you just played a game against those guys. They just beat you guys and you switching jerseys. Yeah, man, because we just played a game for 60 minutes. That don't change the fact that's my home bar for forever. Yeah. Like we just played a game and it is what it is. If we won, if we lost, but now I get to talk to my friend. It is what it is. But when you start taking all that stuff away, making it seem like we're in high school, no, it doesn't work like that. And then when you don't get the wins to back it up, it's like, bro, what are we doing? We don't have fun at work. We can't do this at work. We're not winning games. We can't do this on game day. We like, it's awful around here. So guys want to leave. Guys speaking up. Guys that's seen and experienced different, they're speaking up. So that's why you get Quandre out of there because he's speaking up. He got a voice. He feels like there's a different way. That's why you're getting Slay out of there. That's why you're getting Golden out of there. That's why you're getting me out of there. That's why you're getting all these guys out of there. You're getting all the voices out of there. And the only one that was left was Stafford. He was the only one. Yeah. Because Stafford is a good guy. I heard things were rocky on that front for. I'm sure. I'm sure. (laughs) Yeah. And that's why he got out of here. I I heard about an early um, team meeting that speaks to what you're talking about, where Patricia came in and 
I think it was in front of the whole team. And he's talking about how you got, and this is like when he first came in the building, you're coming off back-to-back winning seasons. And like you said, nine wins isn't good enough, but it's something to build on. And you had the they haven't won nine that. games. They haven't won nine games to combine probably since Caldwell left. I think we're up to 10 now, but I don't know. It's been four years. But Patricia came in and he told the room, you guys don't know how to play effing real football. That was the way it was related to me. It was real football. Like, like basically delegitimizing what you guys had done, that it was a lucky thing to win nine games, that you weren't going to ever win anything playing the way you were with the players you had, and that the room had a poor reaction to that because it felt delegitimizing of who they were, where they'd been, and to Jim Caldwell as well, who was beloved in that room. Right. And it was just so polar opposite. Just simple stuff. You know what I'm saying? Coach Caldwell, you felt like he respected you and your time, right? For me, started at 8 o'clock. Coach Caldwell's probably in there at 7.55, but he's not going to start the meeting until 8 o'clock. But he's watching the clock. When the clock turns 8, they close the door. We start the meeting, right? So now guys know I need to be in the building. I need to be in the room. I need to be in the in my chair by 8 o'clock because that's when the meeting is starting. You might walk in there at 7.59 and he's just going to look at the clock. 8 o'clock, they're going to close the door and you start the meeting. Coach Patricia, you might have an 8 o'clock meeting and the meeting might not start at 8.15. And you're like, oh, coach, I ain't here yet? Where you at? So now you're just sitting in there, all right, bumping. I'm going to go get me something to drink out the cafeteria. Then you leaving. So now you got guys, they're not even respecting times now, mm-hmm. right? They're not even respecting the little things. 8 o'clock meeting is no longer 8 o'clock. So then when I assume, okay, this 8 o'clock meeting is not going to start at 8 o'clock. So, heck, it's 8.04. I got a little time. I still can get there. But then the meeting starts on time. It starts at 8.02 or it starts at 8.01. And now you walk in at 8.03 and you're late and he's fussing. Bro, like, it's just so inconsistent. And you can always say, you guys are the players. They say team meetings start at 8 o'clock. So it should start at 8 o'clock. So you should be there at 8 o'clock. I understand that. But the culture isn't like that. And when the leader isn't showing that type of respect, he's not dealing with high school kids. He's dealing with grown men. Mm-hmm. So a lot of these guys, you don't respect me. I don't really respect you. Just is what it is. It just wasn't a good way to come in. It was arrogant. It was, I know everything because I come from New England and I've been in Super Bowls and I've done this and I've done that. None of that matters, man. You're, you haven't been a head coach. You haven't ran your own team. You've been on the staff. There's a lot of guys that can say they are Super Bowl champions. But they're not Tom Brady. You're not the MVP. You know what I'm saying? So if people don't know Matt Patricia, they're going to be like, who are you getting? Oh, you were on that staff? Oh. But when Bill Belichick walk in the room, oh, they already know. Oh, that's Coach Belichick. He's a Super Bowl champion coach. It's totally different. So you can't come in feeling like you're big time. You understand that you have the experience. You've seen what it looks like, but you got to build to that. And I felt like he came in talking to Stafford the way Brady got talked to by Belichick, but there was a relationship there, right? You don't have a relationship with Stafford right now. So who are you to come in and talk to him like that? You got to build that relationship for him to say, oh, I can respect what he's saying. But for you to come in and say, we don't play real football, but then you want to try to kiss up to him and no, man, don't fly. So I'm sure you're following the Dan Campbell era the last couple of years and maybe saw some hard knocks. The culture is, as Ben was saying earlier, dramatically different. And Dan Campbell, the person, and Jim Caldwell, the person, are (laughs) very different. But what they asked out of the players and the culture they're trying to build, there are some similarities with allowing players to be themselves and treating them like professionals that can have autonomy and get the job done while also having some fun playing 
playing this game. I'm just curious, Glover, you know, do you ever sit back and wish you could have played for Dan Campbell or could have wrapped up your career playing for someone like that? I do like what he's building. Like you said, he, he's a lot like Coach Caldwell in, in a lot of ways. Their demeanors are different, things like that. But a lot of the stuff that they do, the vibes and what they're trying to build is is alike so yeah i could say that i would have loved to play for coach campbell fiery guy wants to have fun but wants to be about his work right this game is hard enough it's hard enough to play this game it's hard enough to win it's hard to do all these different things and i was sitting there sunday after some of these games and i was just like man you always get that feeling for me around that 3 30 4 o'clock time because all the work that you put in throughout the week you know what I'm saying? You put in all this preparation, all this time, all this energy, all this effort. And then on Sunday, we got to all bond together and go out and try to play well offensively, play well defensively, play well on special teams, do all these things, ride the wave, the ups, the downs, the big plays, the bad plays, the missed tackles, the broken tackles, the big hits, the fumbles, the turnovers, all these different things to try to get a win on Sundays. And when you get that win at the end of a game, it's just such a great feeling of we got it done. You know what I'm saying? And that's why I love seeing the celebration of winning because it's hard to win. And I don't think you should ever get used to or feel like that's just another game. Yeah, I can understand you saying, hey, we win around here. This is what we do. But don't ever take for granted how hard it is to win. If you're doing things the right way and you got the talented people in the right spot and you're able to win a bunch of games, enjoy that. But don't ever disrespect how hard it is to win in this game. So to see these teams, coaches, people celebrating when they're winning, it's just a beautiful thing. I love seeing them happy because I know what goes into it. I'm curious about, there There have been a lot of former players who have tried coaching before, but Detroit staff is just chock full of guys that you even played against in the league. And I'm just kind of curious because Dan Campbell really comes off as just relatable and just seems to be able to connect with these guys. And we hear about how Hank Fraley connects with these guys and Deuce Staley. And I'm just curious, what about this staff and Dan Campbell? What about his playing career has helped him kind of connect with these guys and rebuild the culture from where it was, from everything you just said there? Because like I said, players have failed at this before, but what has he taken from his experiences on the field and helped build this thing and send it forward? The thing is, you you relate to people that are like you, right? If you're trying to build a podcast, people that's built podcasts before, you've seen them build a podcast and they want to talk to you and really show you and tell you what some of the things that you need to do to build your podcast, right? You're going to probably relate to those guys because they're going to know about the hard work. They're going to know about the long hours. They're going to know about the trying to get people on and trying to build, they're going to know all those things as opposed to somebody that's never built a podcast, but they're telling you what you should do. Hey, man, you should be doing this, this, and that. And you're just sitting there like, it don't really work like that, though, man. Like, it's not that easy. So you got coaches that play, that understand what it takes to play. They understand what the players are going through. They understand how hard it is. When you have coaches that can coach, but they never play, yeah, you can't totally disrespect them, but it's hard for you to tell me how to get this 300 pound lineman off of me if you've never done it like you don't understand how hard it is to just throw this guy away like that you can't just tell me how to cover Tyreek Hill you've never been out there like you want me to tackle him well you just got to do this and you got to just close to the hip 
Do you know how hard that is, bro? So when you got guys that have done it, for one, you honestly, you're going to trust what they're saying a little more, right? Because they've done it, right? And I caught interceptions. So if I go back and I tell guys some of the things that I've done, they're going to listen to that. Whereas if you go in there, Kyle, trying to tell them how to catch an interception, they're going to be like, bro, you ain't never caught an interception before. Like, you, you see what I'm saying? It's just totally different. That'd be like me coming in trying to tell people how to be a beat writer. They're going to be like, bro, you were a football player. But if you come in and tell them how to do it, they're going to be like, oh, man, that's Kyle. He's been doing this for eight, nine years. So he should, he knows what it's, it's just, that's how it is. And so the staff that he's built, he got a bunch of ex-NFL players. And those, just because you play doesn't mean you can coach. But he got a good group of guys that can coach. They bring different personality. But all those guys play so they understand what it's like for players. They understand those things. There's a lot of these guys that probably look back on their career and say, if I would have done a little bit more of this, I probably could have played 12 years instead of 10. Or I probably could have played 10 years instead of eight if I just did a little bit more on this or that. So they bring all that stuff together and they got the personalities to, to be able to make it all jive. And so I think there's a big respect level from the players regarding the staff and I think it's a respect level from the staff in, in regards to the players. And so it works hand in hand with each other. And I feel like you have to have that. When a team feels like the coaches have their best interest in mind, right? These are the hardest working guys, right? Players, NFL players are hard working guys. You have to work extremely hard to get there. It's more of a respect factor. So we're out here running in a hundred degree weather, but I know you got my best interest in mind as opposed to you just got me out here running in this hundred degree weather, <laughs> right? Like coach Patricia would do stuff like that. Simple stuff as it get cold in Detroit. So we may have three or four games in a row where we're playing two of them at home. Got to go to Minnesota. It's inside. We got to go to somewhere else. It's inside. So we may have four or five games in a row where we're playing inside, but it'll be 12 degrees outside snowing and we're outside practicing in the snow <laughs> you just got me out here in the cold just to be out here in the cold man we practice we're playing inside for four weeks in a row let's go inside and practice it's cold outside and I so i think it's little things like that that players like players vibe with and when players feel like you respect them and you're looking out for their best interest and you explain this is what we're doing this is why we're doing it this is how like they will ride with you when you don't do that and you belittle players and you disrespect players and you make players feel like you the all-time greatest this and that, they're not going to vibe with you. I always wondered what players really thought of those outdoor practices. <laughs> indoor oh, for. <laughs> there was one where they were literally shoveling off the yard lines because there was yeah. snow on the practice field and Patricia's out there in shorts, like blowing his whistle, playing. Awful. Oh, playing whatever awful global we're, we're running real short on time I, I just have one more question i wanted to get to and if you just have a couple minutes and then we'll wrap this up i you know as a defensive back pro bowler a guy who led the league in interceptions and your resume is impressive you're a captain back there for a number of years i just wanted to get your perspective on and i'm not sure how much you've watched the lions or how closely you've watched them but if you have any thoughts on what they're doing defensively under aaron glenn and i guess maybe specifically the secondary what you from tracy from jeff okuda some of those guys back there Oh, yeah. I like what they're doing defensively. You know, I thought the first week it was a little tough. We definitely don't want to give up 38 points. But after seeing Jalen Hurts last night, you understand that what they were facing in week one, Jalen Hurts was really in control of the game 
and converting some of those third down scramble plays and things like that. And so when you can't when you can't stop that stuff, then you have to start doing different things in coverage to try to stop the quarterback. So then you're a little weaker in coverage. And so you can see A.J. Brown start to make different plays because of that. Whereas last week, the D-line can get to Carson Wentz. He's not breaking out, running on him. So now we can keep our coverage because we're able to get pressure on Carson without having to blitz all the time. Or we're not worrying about him scrambling on third and seven. So some of the coverages that you call, right, is different. When you've got a scrambling quarterback, you probably want to call certain things. You don't want to call the two-mans and stuff like that where everybody got their back turned to the quarterback because once Jalen sees that, he knows there's nobody underneath to stop me if I take off running. But when you can play different coverages, cover one, cover one hole or rob or whatever you want to call it, but you got guys in the middle of the field and they're looking right at Carson, and he know he's not the best scrambler. He's not thinking about trying to run out the pocket to get a first down. He may try to move around and throw the ball, but he's not trying to run like Jalen was trying to do. That was a tough task for them week one. And I think over the course of the season, we'll see that that Eagles offense is going to be a tough task for a lot of different teams. But what they've done in week two against the commanders is what I think you'll see for the majority of the teams that they're playing against they're going to be able to get some pressure they got great guys that can rush the ball rush the passer with Aiden Hutchinson and you know what what him you know the blitzing of Rodrigo and like some of the things that they're able to do the way those guys are playing you got Brockers on the D-line and then you throw in Tracy on the back end he's been blitzing getting in there getting a sack against I think Jalen Hurts he got in there and got a sack mixing all those things in they're going to be able to get pressure on the quarterback and by doing that you're going to help out your defensive backfield your defensive backs are young right Jeff Okuda is almost like a rookie he didn't play very much second year I think he got hurt in week one and he didn't have a great rookie year. I think he got hurt in his rookie year as well so I don't even think he have maybe 10 games under his belt in the NFL so to me he's still probably a rookie development-wise, mentally, in the NFL. And then you got a money on the other side. I don't know his health and things like that. But you're young now. You got Will Harris as the backup. He's a young guy. Tracy's the oldest guy, and he's 27, right? You got Deshaun. Like, a lot of those guys are young. So to get some pass rush, to get some help from the D-line, that's going to help your coverage on the back end. You don't have to cover as much. They don't have time to do certain things. You can understand how you can play certain things because your ball should be coming out. So I like what they're doing. They're playing around. They're flying around. They're playing with high energy, high effort. I want to see more turnovers, especially from the secondary, you know, trying to get more interceptions, getting more forced fumbles, punching the ball out, scripting the ball, and taking the field with that mentality. I think a lot of times you can take the field as a surviving mentality. You know what? We're just trying to make sure we don't lose the game for the Detroit Lions. There's so much pressure on us in the secondary, and we just want to make sure we cover our guy. And then you have some of these people that take the field, and they know, hey, man, we finna take the ball away from these guys. Like, they're sitting there talking about how many interceptions and forced fumbles and things that they can do because they're taking the field with, we ain't really just worrying about doing our job. We know we're going to do our job. We're trying to impact the game. And I think once they get to that point to where they know without a shadow of a doubt that we're going to play well, there's just no doubt about it. But can we take our game to the next level and impact the game? Can we win a game defensively? Meaning 
we got the streak going, right? 35 points in the last three games dating back to last year. Okay, that's the offense is on fire, right? We can say that because we gave up 38 points in week one and lost. So the offense is on fire. Can you win a game 7-3? Can you win a game 10-7? Can you hold a team down and win a game when your offense isn't putting up 35 points? That's what you want to see. Coach Caldwell used to always tell us, you want to be able to win a game in all three phases at some point, right? If you need the offense to score 40 today, then that's what we need you to do. The defense isn't clicking, right? If we need the defense to hold you to a set shutout or three points, or we need the defense to score, that's what we need to do today because the offense isn't clicking. And if the offense isn't clicking and the defense isn't clicking and both teams are struggling or whatever, we need special teams to come through with a block punt or a kick return or a punt return, something you need to feel like you can go into a game and win it three different ways if need be, right? And we've seen that they can score points. I want them to get to the point where they feel like, hey, our offense is going to score and we're going to stop people from scoring. So we're going to start blowing people out. We're going to be still putting up 35, but we're only going to be giving up 10 or less. So now we're beating teams 35-10, 42-7, things like that, and we're really making noise. Because right now, you're scoring 35 points, but you give up 38 in week one. You give up 26 in week two. So you're still giving up a lot of points. If your offense is not scoring 35, can you win those games? I think that's what the world wants to see. And I think when the defense get to that point, they're going to be a really good team. Yeah, I don't think they're there yet uh, on that defensive front, but they're trending the right way and they got some good right. pieces placed. And they got Aaron Glenn commands the room, has a lot of respect. The staff has a lot of respect. You mentioned two of the young pups there, Aiden Hutchinson and uh, Malcolm Rodriguez. There's tons of buzz and so forth with those guys. What have you seen from those two rookies so far that, that impresses you, if anything? Well, I think the one thing that you see from to me is the humbleness and the hunger, right? You have two two rare situations that actually plays right into each other. You got Aiden Hutchinson, who is a hometown kid, humble kid, a hardworking kid, and just loves playing the game, and he's getting to play in his hometown. So that's your first-round pick, and that's the mentality that you have. You don't have a first-round pick in Detroit that's from Miami, Florida, and he has no connection to the city. He feels like the city is whack. He don't want to be in Detroit, but he got picked to go to Detroit because he's a first rounder. He liked the money, but he really don't want to be there. And so his vibe is off. He didn't, no, you got a guy that legitimately wants to be there, legitimately wants to play hard, and is happy to put on the Detroit Lions uniform and go out and play the game. And then you got Malcolm, who I can't remember, was he undrafted or he was a late round Six draft round. pick? Six round. Huh? Sixth round draft pick. So he's coming in. He's excited, right? He's a low round guy. So he may not be from Detroit, but he's just excited that he's getting the opportunity to play. He came in with a chip on his shoulder, playing hard, playing fast. And now those are two guys playing with a lot of passion, a lot of energy, a lot of effort, and they just love playing the game. And that's really what you want to see. And that's going to be the character that infects that defense. They're going to be playing around. They're going to be flying around. Those guys are going to be leading the way, and it's just going to rub off on all the other guys. And so I like what I'm seeing from those guys. You've been hearing about Malcolm the whole time, right? You've been hearing about him all through hard knocks, all through the offseason, and to now get to see him playing real football, real games against real guys, and still being that same guy 
that he was in the practices, in the shorts, in the training camps, all those different things. And then, like I said, Aiden is a special guy and he wants to be there. So you when you put those two things together, you got a guy coming as a first rounder that's hungry because it's his hometown and he loves to play. And then you got a six rounder that's hungry because I'm a six rounder and I got to fight for everything I got. And so I like that combination of what they're doing. Glover Quinn, former Lions captain. Always good to, to see you, man. And um, you were one of the all-time good guys that I've, I've covered in my 10 years on the beat. I remember back in the day, you weren't talking on Thursday. You weren't talking on Friday. Maybe on a Sunday if you made a play or something. But every Wednesday, you stood there, man. It's Soundbite Wednesday. You stood there. You answered every single question. I, I saw you stand there for 45 minutes straight before and answered every single question. And even in the bad times, and in the bad times, you know how it gets. People, you know, they talk to some hard questions out there and guys don't want to answer them. They ducked the media. And there was times when, team, when times were lean, maybe in, in 15, when you had the rough start. And you were the one guy in that room sometimes and you and times are bad so the questions are bad and you would stand there for 45 minutes and answer every single one of them and i always had a lot of respect for that you can, people can tell that you have a lot to say you have it and that and with that being said you have a, a podcast these days and have a lot to say as well so let the people know where they can find you and what you have going on right now well we're, we're, right now i'm running oh thanks by the way for that man that was something that i just felt like that's a part of the game and i want my time to be respected and i want to respect you guys time so that's kind of why I kind of started doing that, right? No, I don't want to have to hide from you guys. I don't want to run from you guys. I understand that I am a voice. I'm a leader. And this is just a part of the job. It just is what it is. So let's work out a deal. I talk to you guys all day on Wednesday. I'm going to go eat and I'm going to be in here at 12, 15 or 12 o'clock. Whenever the media, whenever the locker room opens, I'm going to be there. And you can ask me whatever you want all day long. And I'm going to sit here on Thursday. Respect my time. Yeah. On Friday, I got to go. I got massages I got to get done. I got stuff I got to get. I don't have time to sit there and talk on Fridays. I don't want to talk on Friday. It's time to go and play. But on Wednesday, we can talk about whatever you want to talk about. So I appreciate you guys for respecting that. And I'm glad that that worked out. But right now, I'm doing a podcast with Jack Kavanaugh over on the Believe Network. That's B-L-E-A-V in <laughs> lines. And, um, you know, it's a fun thing. You know, it's been fun for me to to get back into it watch the lines closely so I can understand what's going on so I can be able to talk on the podcast. And so it's been fun, man, keeping up with it. Jack is, Jack is a great guy, and um, it's cool what they're doing. And if you want to check us out, listen to us, we're on all of the podcast networks, wherever you listen to your podcast. You can find us on social media, Believe Network, everywhere. So, yeah, man, that's what I'm doing right now, doing the season, and so it's fun. Great to see you, Glover. Happy to hear about your successes, and uh, thanks again for your time. Yeah, thank you. All right, man. Thank you, guys. This has been Ben Raven and Kyle Mikey of MLive's Detroit Lions Beat. Thank you for listening to the Dungeon of Doom, an MLive Detroit Lions podcast. Make sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Apple, Spotify, Google. Like I said, wherever you get them and listen to them, make sure to subscribe to the Dungeon of Doom. Thanks again. Mm-hmm.